listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. Today on the pod, we talk with Alton Harvey, a church planter in Birmingham, Alabama. Alton has a great story and lots of good insight that I really appreciated him sharing with us. So let's turn it over to the guys. Well, how are you doing today, Hunter? John, I'm good. It's wet and rainy and 44 degrees in Memphis, and I'm miserable. Uh, well, good news for me. It's very cold in Fargo, but I just got a remote start installed in my car. So uh, I don't ever have to feel the cold. I just run from my house into my warm car and from my nice. warm car into my office. So, John, should I get a remote start if it never goes below 30? Yeah, if you want me to make fun of you the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> feel free to do that. Well, Hunter, why don't you go ahead and in- introduce our guest today? Sure. Our guest is a, a great person that um, John and I are looking forward to getting to know better this morning as we record this is Alton Hardy. He's the pastor of Urban Hope Church um, in Birmingham, Alabama. Is He is a church planter in the PCA, and um, I am from Alabama, went to college in Birmingham, so I'm excited about Alton, and I'm excited about what he's doing, and um, I just really look forward to getting to know him better this morning. Um, Alton, tell our audience a little bit about your journey of faith, uh, your family, your call to ministry, and your your seminary experience. We'd love to know more about you. Yes. Um, well, originally, I mean, I was born an Alabamian by heart. I was born in Sardis, um, outside Selma. So I was what we called a sharecropper's kid. Um, mother and father had 12 of us and two girls and 10 boys. I'm on the younger end. Uh, I'm relocated from um, Selma about 12 to Louisville. And so if you know anything about the South, you know, everyone grows up with a Christian worldview for the most part. And surely it didn't miss me. I knew about God. But I would never say that I was a disciple. I just knew that there was a God, and, and you go to church, and Baptist church. But moving to Louisville, uh, I would say I became much more informed in my understanding of God, discipleship, because we moved from the country, Louisville, Kentucky. And then, um, you know, we were really poor, and then I ended up, people always ask me, how did you get to Grand Rapids, Michigan? Well, my mother had a major heart attack. Hmm. And it was about seven of us living at home in Louisville, Section 8 housing. And when she comes out of the, from the heart attack, she can't take care of us. And I was in 10th grade in high school. And she said, you can go back to Selma. I said, I'm not going back south. I'm never going back there. And I had a sister who was like a few years older than me, who had, had a boyfriend, lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she was living there. I said, I want to go live with Tony. And so that's how I got to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And being in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know anything about Grand Rapids, Michigan? I mean, it's for the audience, it's a uh, Calvinistic Dutch reform community. Yep. And, and I had no idea of none of that when I went there. But, and so my journey in the faith, you know, like I said, I was, grew up with a Christian worldview, but it was in Grand Rapids. Um, being there, I go off to college, come back, um, have my kind of what I call my wild experience, I get married. Um, that didn't go well, but in the beginning of my, my marriage, um, that's where I had a return back to the Lord uh, for a host of reasons. I was just like, you know what I was doing and, 
And, and the Lord used that opportunity to really to draw me to himself. And in that, I got connected to a charismatic church. In that church, oh man, I really, that's when I really sensed the call to ministry was in that part of an environment. But out of that um, church that I was at, I don't know if you guys can remember the, um, the movement that was happening in the, in the, in the 90s. It was called the, um, it was a uh, black and white church come together. I can't think of that group. Um, Promise Keepers. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Promise Keepers had a huge impact on Grand Rapids, Michigan because we had the, the Dutch reform, Christian reform, and this is all gonna connect. And so, because the Promise Keepers was going, a lot of the CRC churches were involved with it, and there was this movement toward reconciliation. So the church, charismatic church I was a part of, the pastor got caught up, and that church had about 3,000 members, and all the elders on staff all started churches. So it, it kind of just split into about 100 churches. Mm, wow. And the guy that I was connected to, even though I had the sense of call, but I wasn't on staff, I just knew that God was calling me to ministry. And this church had also kind of an in-house seminary um, seminary type of a training going on inside. And this is where you just do some basic stuff. But the guy that I kind of end up following, he's on staff. He got connected to the Christian Reform. And they ordained him within the Christian Reform as um, kind of a church planter. And I would say during that time, that was my introduction into what I call the Reform World Life and Deal. Because I was like, at this church, I was like, right behind him, I did everything. I preached, I teach, I did prayer. And as he was being connected to the CRC, just by proximity, it drew me in. And so with that being uh, how I got into the um, Christian Reform, uh, well, the Christian Reform, Reform World Life, well, in that, I was a reader, man. I was reading, you know, if you know anything about Grand Rapids, all of your books, <laughs> academic, <laughs> they come from Grand Rapids. Yep. Oh, People yeah. don't know that. I didn't know that at the time until I got here. So that's one of the things I miss about Grand Rapids. I don't miss a whole lot about Grand Rapids. I do miss those books. Because Baker, Kriegel, um, um, Zondervan. Erdman's. Um, Erdman's, they all right there. And, and, and back in the day, guys, they had all of these... Uh, um, companies had what I call, um, you can buy books on discount, like for two or $3. So I built an extensive library, didn't even know it, of a, probably of $200. <laughs> Calvin Institute, I mean, I mean, Calvin, Timothy. and you can just go there and get it. Oh, so we got this commentary set in here. All right, I'll take it, you know, 10 bucks, because uh, all the, um, the reform oh. pastors would get it. So anyway, being a part of this Christian Reform Church slash, I got pulled in, and I'll never forget. They sent me, um, they asked the pastor at the time to say, hey, you got any more black guys like yourself who you think would be a good fit? Um, the Christian Reform leaders, they asked this pastor whom I was a part of his church. He said, yeah, I got a guy named Alton Hardy. He's a good preacher, and likes to read, and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's okay. We'll, and so they came and had me and my wife, Sandra, um, go through a um, mm -hmm. assessment center. I'll never forget. I go through it. And, you know, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I was working at FedEx and at the time. And 
But anyway, I go through that assessment. They love me. They said, man, you have all the skill sets. Um, preaching, leadership, family. Because uh, my Sandra was with me, my wife. Um, and either way, I, I come back to that. Sandra, my wife, we've been married for 25 years. And, uh, and they wanted to have me plan a church. And that that time, I said, no, I'm not ready. I don't want to plan. I was like, mm -mm, I don't want to do it. And here's what I said to him. I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it. By this time, guys, I'm, I'm like, I'm in my 30s. Um, I kind of know who I am a little bit, my learning style. You know, I just like, you know, I'm, I, I said, I asked the question. I want to, I said, I want God to provide a, a man that's older who can spend time with me and just help me learn ministry practically as I can follow him around and not just from an academic right. setting. And that's what I put on my assessment. And said, one of the guys said, nobody's never asked for that before. I said, well, yeah. that's what I want. I, I want. I want to be able to I should have asked for that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to sit with a Lincoln Duncan and follow him around. How does he do <laughs> ministry? And whatever he tells me to read, that's what right. I read. Stuff like that. Yeah. They say, wow, nobody asked for that. Well, anyway, God was very faithful to that, guys. And so it was like two years later where I met a CRC pastor named Dave Beeling. He had been in ministry. He just retired 40-some years. By the time I met him, he was like 30. And by God's providence, I'm making this quick, I met this man, and he was. Um, he told me, he, he would always say to me, he said, preaching is a gift. Uh I could teach you all the other stuff. Um, and this guy just took me under his wings. And it goes back to my seminary. So I was taking classes at Calvin Seminary um, uh, at the time. Uh, it used to be Kuiper College, now it's Kuiper University. I was on their board as well as a trustee. And so they had me take some basic classes of reform. But what he did was just, well, just what I do now with guys underneath me. He did the intangibles. He took me and says, this is what it looks like to be a pastor, a man of God, prayer life. Uh, he would take me to funerals, weddings. He would have me sit with my notes and just watch and just how he did everything. And, and people said, man, you got that kind of experience? And, and, and that was how he would, uh, he would, this is how I got in, 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 introduced to John Piper, Tim Keller. He would get all these books and he would, him and I would read these books together and then I would have to write a paper on it. And then he would, mm -hmm. him and I would, would go back and forth. And then every time I had to preach, I would have to preach a sermon to him first. And then he <laughs> would like, no, that's, he would always say, this is where I first learned nice. um, that the thought called, uh, he said, that's too much self-help. I said, what do you mean by self-help? He says, the gospel is not what you do. The gospel is what God does in Christ Jesus. He says, where is that in the story? I was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and he was just pushed back on that. And, and that made me, people, people ask me, saying, Alton, um, you're a preacher. I said, I always go back through the gospel. And guys, I hear a lot of self-help, a lot of add-ons. Mm -hmm. And this is part of what you see in the culture now. It's basically, people are preaching a lot of, you go do better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and that was my experience. And so um, my wife, um, Sandra, we married for 25. We have five kids. And so she's been with me in ministry, um, not as a co-pastor and stuff. She runs a nonprofit called Urban Hope Development alongside mm -hmm. of the church. 
because we're in the urban areas where there's lots of poverty. And so we're basically just trying to help bring the gospel on both sides of the spectrum. And so, but back to my, uh, my training, my in the faith, man, it was all providential, you guys. But I tell you this, I, 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 in this part of the segment, coming from the charismatic world, I was a reader, but I didn't know what God was doing. I was already going to Baker and Urban's bookstore and buying mm -hmm. books that were reformed in nature, but I didn't know it. So when I, by the time I meet Pastor Dave Billing, he said, what books have you read? This is gonna make y'all laugh. And I gave him a list of all the books. He says, well, how'd you learn to get these books? I said, I was getting them from the Baker used bookstore, $2, $3, Martin Luther, I'm getting all this, John Stott and, and J.R. Packard, knowing God. He's like, <laughs> he was, because what had happened to me, I just like, man, there's something missing. You know, you, if I've been in the charismatic, man, I've seen it and heard it. You can't fool that stuff with me no more, whatever. And I said, it's got to be more than just what I'm hearing. And because I was getting all that flakiness, but I didn't understand it. So I would just go to the bookstores and I got the John Pack, I mean, J.R. Packer book, Knowing God. And when I gave Pastor Dave my list, he said, man, this is, this is the meat on the bone. I, yeah, I've been getting them from Baker Bookstore. And, and he, was, he was so blown away by that. And that's what I knew when him and I had a relationship. God in his providence had been knowing all along, this kid from Sardis, he had been bringing me into this world. And Pastor Dave would say this to me all the time. He said, I've never seen someone grasp reform theology the way that you grasp it and then and, and, and so when so when i'm in so i'm in the crc when i would preach on um sovereignty of god probably people were always like because they wanted to know because my life has had so much suffering with it and how i would talk about it in spite of what the suffering mm -hmm. overlapped and and so you know a lot of the times, you know, I was preaching to audience, you know, very highly educated. And, and here I'm coming from the from the other <laughs> side. I say I'm the guy that's been oppressed deep down. <laughs> Parents are sharecroppers eating from a yeah. dump. Like, how do you understand God's sovereignty then? Right. And I said, and that's how I would typically talk about it from that perspective. And God, I'm 54 today. It has taken me a lifetime. I would and for a long time I never talked about Sardis. I hated the Alabama story of my mm -hmm. life. People were asking where I came from. I would say Louisville. I never, I took Alabama off. Well, obviously it has changed right. now because I very hardly ever mentioned Louisville yeah. anymore. It's always Alabama. Yeah. So that's kind of my journey, my story, my yeah. family into the faith and how and where I'm at right now. So, so, so Alton, it, <clears throat> what led you, first of all, from the CRC to the PCA, and then secondly, to back to Alabama to Urban Hope, to plant Urban Hope? Great, great question. So I got into CRC. I was there for about 10 years, and I grew. And I'd be actually, to some degree, if you want to call it, I don't know if you guys remember Rob Bell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I was in – Rob was over there doing his thing, and I was in the CRC, obviously. And, you know, I know Rob, you know, because he's from Grand Rapids, and so I got an opportunity to see him on many occasions. This is before he goes to the Rob Bell he is now. Right. And so we both were kind of 
you know, was simultaneously was, was growing and, and obviously his platform went way bigger and God protected me from that for, for, for a host of reasons. I'm glad he did. But in the CRC, I was seen as somewhat of a, of, of a, of a star in, among their eyes. You know, I was getting invited to preach all the time. I was getting on all the boards. But as I kept growing in my, my understanding of the word. Now, coming from the charismatic, I, I had what was very, I should say, I hadn't thought through it or I just didn't, maybe I hadn't just voiced it. I don't know what it was. But I knew in my heart God had birthed Urban Hope, which was going to be a ministry that was going to have a high um, um, ministry towards men because you know in the urban communities, you from Jackson, there's a black man. It's a desert. And I had been very honest about this call in my life when I met with Pastor Dave and the CRC leaders and stuff that, you know, eventually I want to plant a church that will address the, the, the urban core of men. They said, oh, no, no, no problem, good, good. Well, eventually that came to a head because CRC, if you know, they were, at the time I didn't know it, but God was sovereign in it. They were going left and it was just going, but because of my preaching on men and raising up men, especially young black men, and they like, well, you, we really want you to kind of calm down on this a little bit because this is kind of messing up, causing some people to kind of look at the scriptures. We've already fought this fight. I'm saying, what are y'all talking about? Well, I got there, so I wasn't really thinking about it. Anyway, make a long story short, guys. They, it became such a, um, an issue and so they tried to get me, they tried all kinds of ways to keep me there. So well, could you just plant your own church? You'd be CRC affiliated. And eventually it came to a point, I was leading this church plant out of the church. The main church had planted me out. The church grew up to about 250 people when we left. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to leave. I think it'll be best. And I just left. I resigned. Um, that was when my my favorite with the CRC went 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 with it as well. Man, I lost all my friends, and and then I, and that's how, so how I get to Birmingham. So, in the midst of that, I had a friend of mine. I'll make this quick. That lived here. He used to live in Grand Rapids. He used to run Restoration Academy. His name was Ron Carr, and he worked for the DeVos Foundation. But he's from Birmingham or Tuskegee, so he lives here, and. As I resigned from the from my church in Grand Rapids, um, not knowing what was gonna really happen, guys. I mean, I was forty six. I said, "Man, what the?" I, just, I was, I was, you know, I go through a, a kind of a time of depression. I don't know what. I was really just like, and I had lost all my CRC friends. So anyway, make a long story short, my friend Ron tells the guy. I don't know if y'all know him. You may have met him, a Hunter, Jason Williams, who was working at Briarwood in the Urban Missions Department at the time. And Briarwood was because of what Fairfield with the Restoration Academy and all the urban ministries that are there in Fairfield. Pastor Reed and, and Tom Chile at the time wanted to put a church there, but they couldn't really find an African-American leader to right. take it on, to go in that environment. And this is a whole other story. Why is it that you can't really find more guys like myself to go into inner city environments? You usually find a lot of white guys doing it. But in the reform world, you don't find very many African-Americans, right. males, who will go into what I call urban, hardcore, 
inner city plant, church planting. And so Jason and my friend Ron Carter was meeting one day here in Birmingham. And Ron and I were best friends because I met him. He was in Grand Rapids. And Ron said, I have a black guy who was a reform. He, Ron always said to me, he said he's like a John Calvinist, point one. And Jason Williams said, what, a black guy? He said, yeah. Loves reform theology? Ron said, yes. Mm-hmm. And he said he mm-hmm. just resigned from his church. And make a long <laughs> story short, Jason said, can I get his number? Jason got my number, called me, and the rest is history. And I'll never forget, my wife said, this is like you coming back home. Guys, I had never thought about ever coming back to the South. It wasn't what? even on my radar. I didn't have it in my journal. In fact, I'm the only person in my family who lives in the South. Everybody else lives in Buffalo, New York. Um, they, they, they see the South totally different than the way I do now. And I had some of that in me. So when so we were so poor, being out in stars, we just mm. Alabama summer was just not a good memory for us. And so for us to come back to it is almost like we're going backwards or something like that. So that's how I got to Birmingham was that story. And mm. then we can get into that. Yeah, so why don't you give us a, a picture of what it's been like uh planting Urban Hope? You know, if you want to give us kind of the situation on the ground coming in what was the area what's it what's it been like uh you know well, you talking about trying to reach young men and raise them up like what what is that how long you been there what's it been like and um yeah just give it's us been a- eight years uh we came here in 2012 august 2012 on my birthday and this is my you hear me use the word providence guys uh, i don't say that just to be saying it but it really god wastes nothing hmm. And, but in Grand Rapids, I was, you know, being in CRC, we were very um, involved with, I don't know if you guys have heard of Dr. John Perkins, yeah. Christian Community Development. So yeah. that was like a second um, ministry to the CRC in Grand Rapids. And so I became very acquainted with Dr. Perkins and his ministry. And so while we were in Grand Rapids, so we, we did a lot of what I call urban um, ministry to the poor. Now, Grand Rapids poor is nothing like Birmingham Fairfield mm. poor. I mean, it's not. It's like it's like it's like um, um, Grand Rapids is like icing on the cake, bro. Here it's like wow, it's a whole another level of poverty. I've never seen so many people. But God had me and my wife really involved with the CCDA, John Perkins, and me in the church. We were really engaging in that work in Grand Rapids. And so coming here to tell you what it's like, the first year going to Fairfield, if you've ever been to Fairfield, it's a uh, it's bankrupt city. Um, very, there are no police. Um, there's no businesses are leaving. They're not coming there. Uh, it has all of the fatherless issues, the school failures, you just name it. And, and, and probably the thing that we were so surprising for us is just to see how many people just drop out of school. It's just like, that's just like normal, just like, what you in the eighth grade yeah but so it's got all of that mm. i would say to you the first year um i would say the first year being in urban church playing within the pca and me being an evangelical presbytery and this is, this is i'm gonna go slow i but i'm older now and I've learned some things and one of the things i have learned in my crc days that god allowed me to see that you can do urban ministry 
and you end up just being a second tier welfare mm. car into Christianity. And I was determined in my heart that I was no longer going to do, because I had given enough way, enough food, paid enough bills. I had given all of that in Grand Rapids and they didn't get us anybody with a transformed life. Yeah. I had seen mm -hmm. it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't need anyone to tell me, because I, I was new at it. So I said, well, we just give food to people and we pay their bills and we get them cars. So I had, by the time God had allowed me in Grand Rapids, that was one of the things that, that became a problem in the COC. I became so orthodox in the gospel that I was not, I was determined that you're not gonna add on, you're not gonna take away. The God is a preached word. He transformed people's hearts and the benevolence and the charity that comes behind it as second tier, but you can't go away from the word. So that was a thing that I was, I was, I was gonna stick to. Hmm. So coming here, being new, church playing in an urban environment, being a black guy, I had to walk gently with the evangelical presbytery pastors and churches to help them understand that ministry to the urban poor, whether it be black or white, is more than just giving out food and anything else. That we was gonna do it through the preaching and the teaching of the word, calling men and women to repentance. Bruh, they was like, what is he talking about? I mean, don't you know, so and I said, no, we're going to preach the men's heart and we're going to allow the spirit of God to convict these men so they would want to walk down the aisle and break the cycle. I was determined on that. And so the first five, six years, guys, I was just, I was just going up against the grain of, <laughs> hmm. can we just, yeah. can we just dump charity, benevolence, turkeys, Christmas stores, <laughs> <on> turkeys. <laughs> And and we do some of that, but it's not what we known for. Yeah. Right? So and I'm saying and, and then I was saying to guys, and you guys know this. I says, being in CRC helped me understand. Well, they claim that those on the left theologically care more about the poor than those on the right. That the conservative white Christians didn't care about the poor people. And I heard that in the CRC all the time. I didn't understand it, but I was like, what? They were like, no, they don't care about the poor. If you voted for like a Trump or whatever, it was always, that was always in the air. Like, if you if you believe the Bible, you just didn't care about people poor. You didn't care about black people especially. So this is important how you guys hear me now when you may be hearing words, Pastor Hart. And because I ended up becoming one of those people, they said, when they when the CRC booted me out, they told me, go to the PCA. I never even heard of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I never got in the meeting and said, you need to go to the PCA. Did you think more like them? I said, who is the PCA? And I went and looked it up. Oh, it's Tim Keller, those guys, you know? And so, so this is like, what in the world are they talking about? Well, they don't care about black people. They don't care about poor. So I like, so here I am now in the PCA world among what they call the conservative of the right. And, and one of the things I said that I, in the midst of the last four or five years, we were going to plant this church, but we we're going to do it biblically. Um, you're not going to take no shortcuts. And I can tell you guys, God has been faithful. And young men are getting saved. We do have a strong marriage ministry among young black men. 
and they're getting married from Fairfield. And cycles of, of poverty and the broken family structures, we speak very strongly to that. Mm. That's being broken. And yes, we do all the extra stuff behind it, but that is happening. And here's the, the good thing of it is, in these seven, eight years now within the Evangel Presbytery, they are finally starting to see, oh, now the word is, this is how we can do urban church planning across America. This is how we can do it. And what I've been saying for such a time as this, I think God has been setting the stage to, um, to really help us all see how do we, how do we address poverty, longstanding um, marginalization, whatever you want to call it, how you address this stuff through the gospel and not try to just blame people and just keep, man, guys, y'all, here's another, I'm, I'm going around. You guys, I have to tell this part of the story. All the stuff that y'all currently hearing in the culture coming from some of this stuff about the CRT and all that race stuff, guys, God had me go through all of that before the internet. Mm, if right. you guys would have heard me in my early days, uh, in fact, when I got to the CRC, some people said I was Malcolm X on steroids. Mm -hmm. God had to work that stuff through me because I, I just, I was going through it. Even, and then I had all these stories on my own life of racial woundedness from sorry. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so I mean, my 54 years, there's a lot that's transpired with me. So I was, I, I, man, I, I I couldn't, I was, I was going through emotions and stuff like that. And then I was known for speaking about race. And every time you heard me open my mouth, it was race, 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 race. And, but by the grace of God, I, he allowed me to go through all of that before the internet, before the Twitter, before <laughs> the Facebook, before yeah. Instagram. So you can't find hardly any tapes on me about these things. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, that's a, me, that's a bit of, Alton, that's, you know, uh, Reed and, and John are both millennials. So that's a, that's a benefit <laughs> for me and you being Gen X, right? Yeah, you don't remember that world. We didn't have all that. You couldn't put your thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, so, I understand. And I'm so glad he did, Hunter and uh, Reed. I'm really did because it really, um, now, planning this church now, I'm not, I don't have those, I don't have those things and I'm trying to stick people no more. I'm not yeah. trying to, I, I just, I've been, it's just, it's just Jesus Christ and him crucified and I'm not blaming anyone on any systems, man. And, but I'm so glad God allowed that to really get out of me. So for now this work can mm. be done without me trying to always blame somebody. I was blaming everybody back in the early days. Right. And so that's part of my story, uh, Hunter. It's just now, um, so even when, when I got in the, in the Evangel Presbytery, I just, I, you know, there, I could just be slow. I didn't have to be angry. I could just know that people don't know what they don't know. And so when you, when you see in high crime areas, you see the typical stuff that you see, um, like here in Birmingham, we obviously we got a high crime situation going on. And typically it is always what it been the African-American kind of lead the, lead the way in that. I can just be slow, stay at, stay, at, stay at what God has put in my heart to do. And now after eight years, bro, we're in the process of building our first building yeah, in wow. Fairfield. 
Our church was growing and it's multi-ethnic. I didn't try to make it multi-ethnic. I tell people, man, I don't know how to make anything multi-ethnic. I just <laughs> preach the gospel and and we just be, and we, our staff is diverse. I didn't try to, guys, let me tell you, I didn't try to go do any of that. What I, I just basically had, I, had, I did I did do this, Hunter and Reed. I did do that. I said, God, I did, coming from having the racial background that I had and some of the stuff, I did, I would, I would, I did sit with John 17 for a long time. And then Ephesians 3. And if you've heard me talk about Ephesians 3.10, which is my life verse, do I really believe this? If it's true, then God, then I'm just going to, you're just going to have to do it in my life. And I'm just going to put my head down. And so I've been here eight years. And on a given Sunday, we're usually 50-50 sometimes. Sometimes all whites are coming. And people say, how are you, how is this happening in Birmingham and Fairfield? And bro, we meet on a Sunday night at five o'clock and it's dark. So, you know, folks are still coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you now, you say, well, how is that happening? I didn't try to. I just, but I did say in my heart, the gospel is a, it's real to me. It's not some fictitious mm-hmm. and it don't need any additives to it. It's, yep. it, Jesus is yep. enough. And that's that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. So that's what's happening right now in Urban Hope. Yes, has there been some challenges? Yes, there's been some challenges along the way. Um, you're, in a CR, you're in a PCA, which is a church is typically done in high end. So the way that we've been going about it is totally different. Like we got to raise money all the time. It, you can't put me on a three-year plan. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not going, and I I would say this in the press, which I said, hey, we all got to stand before Jesus. Matthew 25 is not just for them over there, it's for us too. We can't just keep saying we are church for the middle class. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying we should stop doing that as well. But here's my point. Here's my point I would make. I said, um, somebody's got to have to reach the poor. We can't look at Galatians 2.10 and just pretend like we don't see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Paul said that the first general assembly in Jerusalem, and I said, they could have said all the stuff they could have said. They could have said do this, do that. We asked you one thing. Hey, guys, what? Remember the poor. How are we going to get away from that one? Right. Yeah. I saw. I says, and we got to retreat the poor more than just giving them some food. That's not the gospel. Someone's yeah. going to go in there, rub their sleeve. And teach them and disciple the people in the truth. And that's been the missing link to the poor. It's always charity and not discipleship. Mm. Yeah. So Alton, um, question. I'm planting in a middle, upper middle class suburb of Memphis. Um, And I think often churches in the suburbs don't know how to respond, react, help, and engage with churches in more urban settings. Um, what would your advice be to those type of church plants and those type of churches? That's a great question, Henri. Um, <clears throat> I say this to answer the, the, answer this question first. Urban Hope is, is, is people ask me, um, Pastor Hardy, what's your desire? I say, I want, I think God wants to plant more. In fact, I don't think, I know he does, more Urban Hope type churches but there's a key component to planting these types of churches. You need to plant, you need more what I call Alton Hardys. And the reason why I tell you the story, 
because I was some of the stuff that you're hearing currently on the radar now, I was those guys. But by the grace of God, he walked me through it. And now I'm on the other end and I can see it. So for the churches, like you say, in the suburbs that see this stuff, it's kind of a, like, how do we engage in this? I would say to you guys, first and foremost, and this is all sincere, everything starts with prayer. It's pray to our God that he would raise up for the harvest young African-American men of color who would take on the calling to come back to these inner cities but here's, here's what the end has done, um, um, Reed, and, I'm, and I've been talking about this in, here in Birmingham. The enemy is very deceptive. He has raised up a kind of a false gospel narrative that has lured away a lot of our African-American men into what mm. I call wasted conversations. Because you could talk about race all day long. It's not going to stop the issues happening in Memphis. Someone's going to have to go into those projects, lay down their life, and he began to teach those young men that there's a better way in Jesus Christ. And mm. that, until you get to that part, <laughs> you can talk about race, the past, history, what took place in Memphis in 1901 until the cows come home. It's not going to change anything in Birmingham, Fairfield. So what happens with churches who, like, your, like you said for yourself, when they hear these stories, they become paralyzed. Like, what do we do? Well, well we, we, we got families in our church. And then, and so I would say to you, start praying. Now, here's what's happening secretly with me. Lots of guys are texting me and say, hey, I want to do what you're doing. And what I truly believe that what God is doing, eventually, once we get this building up, I'm gonna, we're going to start doing our in-house training. And guys from all over the country, if you got a young guy, come here. Because we don't say, yeah, we realize that it's race stuff. But man, I'll tell you guys, on the ground, in the inner cities, on the ground, in the communities, race is not even on the list. You know what the number one issue is that we hear? Guess what it is? Take a guess. Guess what the number one issue we hear a young girl or young man in the inner city asking for? Where's my dad? It's the fatherless. It's, it's, that's the number one pain that we see coming out of these communities. Now, the race stuff is there, but it's nowhere near what people are seeing on the peripheral. If that's, those are tight, what I call middle-class, upper-middle-class conversations. Yeah. You, but in the trenches, where, where, where the crime and the, and the groaning and the pain, it's really, so I would say to the church on the outskirts, when people hear my stories, they're like, Alton, we want more of you. And you have to pray for that. And that's why I think if it before, I want to spend the latter years of my life when I get to 60 is raising up more young men. Because when people say, well, what about your race? Well, I can show you the race rooms, but that doesn't stop anything. In fact, what was meant for evil, now God is using it for his good. So we can't pick and can't cherry pick God's sovereignty. Either he's sovereign yesterday, he's sovereign today, or it was not. I mean, when when should I pick it up? Right. So, I, so I tell churches, don't try to shortcut it. And there are young men of color, just like me, and, and you ask for it, and and God will send these guys. And then, therefore, if whatever use I can be, to talking to them. Because I know the question is going to come up. It's always going to be the race part. The racial part is where Satan 
puts his hooks and he can pull a guy away from the heart of the gospel. He can pull him into mm -hmm. something else. Once that happens, it's hard to get that guy to come back to the inner city and to address what he sees right. with his eyes, mm -hmm. which is typically not dealing with race. This is dealing with what we call sin and all the implications of mm -hmm. it. And so therefore, I'm trying to get guys to get that hook out of them because they get stuck on one particular sin in the world called racism. Like there are no more sins. This <laughs> is the one. And they just like can't see anything else. But how Marie, I understand that because mm -hmm. that's where I was. I, I I couldn't see anything else. All I could see was just this one sin, and it blinded me from seeing the whole spectrum of the Bible and everything else. And so that's what I would say to the churches in the in the suburbs. Don't fall prey to the guilt. Pray for God to raise up a guy that you did can come behind and support on the ground to do that work in inner city Memphis. That those areas of, of, of been so those projects, I mean I drove through Memphis and that's a long term yeah, work. Generational. Yeah. Yes. You can't, you, and then you can give a, just say you go in and give a bunch of Christmas gifts. That's one time. What about the changing of the mind? How do, how do those, how do those groups in those, in, in those project houses understand marriage and family? Who's going to teach that? Right. Yep. yep. Because if you talk about where's poverty come from, where it comes from in our, in our context, the breakdown of the family. And so what we're doing in Fairfield, we're just methodically, systematically teaching on the family, bro. You can see the young man that he was looking. Wow. They don't understand marriage. I mean, this is a thing, man. This is to help me. I have a whole different view of like going to all the world and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I think we think people inherently understand the blueprint of God and marriage and family as we do sitting around this podcast. There's people in these inner cities in these rural impoverished areas of understanding institutions of marriage. They're totally blind to how having four children by four different guys is going to keep you mm -hmm. in poverty. They don't have any idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they just, they just like, I, mean, I hear women say, why nobody tell us this? Well, right. The social services people are not going to tell you because they get it. So it's going to take church planters to roll up their sleeves and go there and be able to um, to um, to um, download some of this stuff. So, well, Alton, thank you so much for sharing all that experience, your history. I mean, there's so much in there, and yet as you talk about you know planting inner city churches, so much of what you said is applicable to any church, right? We're just changing yes. lives through the preaching of the word. I mean. Uh, discipleship, uh, mentoring people, getting involved in the details of their lives. So uh, super helpful to hear from you. Uh, please know we'll be praying for you in the days ahead. Hopefully our listeners can hear uh, what's going on. Look up your website, be praying for you as well. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Talk to you later. That's it. Thank you. That's the last word for now. This episode was sponsored by Auxilio Partners, providing the business management and technology expertise your church needs. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. 
You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at Five Points Church Planting at gmail.com. That's the number Five Points Church Planting. See you all next time.